This week's episode of the VeloNews Podcast, brought to you by Roll Massif, organizers of eight of Colorado's most iconic road gravel and mountain bike events. They have events that take riders through the alpine terrain around Copper Mountain, that's the Copper Triangle, uh, one that takes riders through the desert landscape of the Colorado National Monument. And regardless of the event, you're always guaranteed a great post-ride festival. That's right. A meal, some beer, good vibes. We love Roll Massif events. And to encourage kids to get out on their bikes, anyone under the age of 18 rides for free at the road and gravel events. That's pretty cool about Roll Massif. If you have a kid, nephew, niece, you want to get them involved in cycling, Roll Massif event may be their gateway towards getting on a bike. So right now, you can check out RollMassif.com. That is R-O-L-L-M-A-S-S-I-F dot com. And listeners of the VeloNews Podcast can get 15% off any event using the code VeloNews15 at checkout. That's right. Go to RollMassif.com, use the code VeloNews15 at checkout, and you can get 15% off any event. Uh, VeloNews staffers are going to be out at some of these Roll Massif events this year as well. Riding, mingling, telling old war stories, and having a good time. So that's just another thing to throw out there. Uh, again, RollMassif.com, VeloNews15 at checkout. Um, this expires June 1st. Thanks to Roll Massif for sponsoring this week's episode. Let's get on with the podcast. Uh, welcome back to the VeloNews Podcast. Fred Dreyer coming to you from a sunny, warm Tuesday here in Boulder, Colorado. The sun is out. Um, if it were under normal circumstances, the group rides, the lunch rides would be just banging away in Boulder. All of the like uh, bike industry people would just be pummeling each other on the climbs and the flats because this is the time of year normally when uh, people are fit. People have gotten those winter miles in and the springtime is around the corner and the gravel season and the road seasons come up and, and just like the boulderites on bikes are just like showing off uh, all their speed. Not so much this year with the coronavirus. See a lot of riders riding uh, ones, maybe twos out there, but the group rides and the lunch rides have gone away. Um, Zwift riding, though, is going on. And um, if you are a, a fan of Zwift riding, we have our Velo News weekly Zwift rides going on Wednesday mornings at 9.30 Mountain Standard Time. Check out uh, Zwift in the events page. You can find it pretty easily. We'd love to have you out there. Ben Delaney, uh, he leads the rides. He has lots of questions for people. Um, it's a pretty casual pace, although I've, I've, I've been dropped. I'm new at Zwift, so like I've, I don't know. Maybe I didn't like do the thing where you have to like sprint into your Zwift, into your indoor trainer before like the thing goes. That's sometimes what it takes to keep up with Ben in real life. But um, yeah, come out, check it out. We have our Zwift ride. We'd love to talk uh, and chat and just like hang out with bikes. Um, we have a great episode this week. We are uh, the second half of the show. I have an interview with a world champion. Multiple-time world champion, Olympic bronze medalist. That is Catherine Pendrel of the Luna slash Cliff Bar team. Uh, Catherine is one of the most decorated mountain bike racers in history. And um, she comes on the podcast to do one of our fun little day-in-the-life interviews. If you've been reading VeloNews.com, you've probably seen uh, one of the many day-in-the-life pieces we've done over the last month where we ask pro cyclists a series of questions to dig into their routine, their motivation, their attitude, their inspiration, and basically how they're living during the coronavirus shutdown. So second half of the show, we're going to do one of these uh, on-air 
with Catherine. But before we get to that, we're going to talk all about the Day in the Life project itself. Um, like I said, we've been reaching out all month. I think we've been doing it for five weeks now. Myself, Ben Delaney, Dan Cavallari, Greg Kaplan, Andrew Hood, James Start, and Betsy Welch. Betsy has done a ton of these Day in Life interviews. And Betsy joins me today from uh, Betsy's home office somewhere in Boulder, Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to talk all about the, the day in the life pieces. Um, Betsy, what's what's cracking in the home office today? <laughs> well, it's a day like many other days. <laughs> um, you know, at five, what, what are we into this? Five weeks, seven weeks? I don't know. Like, I, I think I'm starting to develop a little bit of a routine, although um, – Every day has its nuances. Today, breakfast wasn't until 10, mm. uh, so that was a little late. But um, the pull of the outdoors is definitely growing stronger. As you mentioned, this weather is, like, spectacular. I think it was only two weeks ago we had a humongous snowstorm. Um, and that made Zwifting easier. Zwifting tomorrow will not be as easy with this weather. And, as you mentioned, Ben Delaney and other people riding yeah. my legs off. Um, yesterday was one of those like particularly busy days. I know like, I'm like you, like usually I try to have a routine where I'm like, okay, I'm getting up early as a baby. I got to put on pants, take a shower, like basically go through the same routine that I would have under normal working circumstances. And yesterday for some reason, for whatever reason, it was so busy. It was like 3 PM. I looked down, I'm like, Ooh, pajama bottoms. And I'm like, I'm still wearing the same thing that uh, I woke up that I like threw on when I got out of bed. And, uh, didn't get to ride, you know, no outdoor riding, like worked straight through from eight to five or whatever. And then dinner and stuff with the family. And so I did Zwifting last night. Oh, you did a nighttime I session. I did a nighttime session. And um, yeah, it's just like when it's, it's real easy when it's snowing out. You like look out and it's snowy and yeah. cold. You can open a window and you're like, oh man, Zwift is the best thing ever. And then um, right. it's like hot out. And I was like, oh man, this uh it's pretty hot in but here. <laughs> Not the did, same. Did Zwift did Zwifting at night then mess up your sleep? Like, were you all revved up? Yeah, it's pretty revved. Um, I yeah. was revved for a lot of different reasons. Just like general anxiety, right? Kind of has me revved. But yeah, like getting the heart rate up from um, like eight p.m. to nine p.m. I'm not used <laughs> to doing that. I was I was pretty revved up. Took a little while. Uh, yeah. So, sleep, sleep scientists would tell you that that's not very good uh, sleep hygiene. So when I used to live in New York City and cycling out there was actually fairly easy because you had Central Park and there's lights and like the park would stay lit up. So I would work, you know, until 6 p.m., 7 p.m. and then like come home and ride in the park until like, I don't know, 1030 at night and come home, have right. dinner, not go to bed till one. But it's just like that's such a nocturnal city out here. But now that I'm just some like some like regular boring suburbanite suburban yeah <laughs> like lamo in the burbs i should have a more regular circadian rhythm and i disrupted it yesterday so i don't know we'll see if that continues uh betsy we've been doing these day in the life interviews over the last month you've done a ton of them i have done a ton of them we have reached out to cyclists and asked them nine fairly simple and standard questions those questions are uh what are the current regulations where you live about going outside what races were you planning to do that have been canceled or postponed? What are you doing today? Are you doing workouts? If so, what specifically? What indoor gear are you using? What is your motivation to train right now? How are you communicating with friends and family? Have you received any helpful advice? And when do you think you'll race again? Nine super basic, simple questions. In your estimation, 
have the, has this delivered basic and simple information or has it been far more complicated and complex than, than those nine basic questions? I think it's actually been fairly straightforward. Um, I think, you know, one thing I was wondering is, are, are people going to get sick of these questions? Like, are they like, oh, I've seen these things before. But, but I think the questions have maintained relevance throughout this whole thing. And so people have given us some, some really thoughtful answers. And there have been variations, um, as you and I were just discussing off air, um, you know, depending on where people are physically located, depending on what races they were targeting, um, depending on what kind of uh, riding they do. But I think in general, we, we noted a lot of consistencies across the board wouldn't you say yeah i guess like major consistencies with subtle differences that i found to be uh, more pronounced the more and more people we talked to and the more and more um, of these we did so like you said um we talked like we talked to riders in europe in north america we talked to male and female riders we talked to riders of different ages different sports etc and like when you cut when you kind of read a bunch of them and cut it up I just felt like, you know, the European road riders had very different answers and very different um, perspectives on this than like North American female mountain bikers would. And like young 22 year old riders had much different perspectives and answers on this than like Amber Nieben did on some of these questions. And so it was like the more and more you started to see these answers and see deviations in them. And it was like, I, I just thought it was very interesting. And to me, actually helped me learn a lot about pro cyclists and how they're the same and how they're different. Um, something that came out, I felt like about how pro cyclists are the same. And I don't know if you saw this was the, um, the disruption that the pandemic has caused to type a personalities and the stress <laughs> that creates. Yeah, totally. I was, I was just looking through a couple of them and I think it was Enrico Gasparato who said cyclists like to program everything. Like we, we like our year mapped out. Um, I'm sure for some cyclists, it's, we like our two, three years mapped out. Um, and, and that has been definitely interesting because I think that's one thing that that's a stereotype that we all would have about cyclists is sort of type a, like need to have everything within their control. Um, and so we've gotten sort of a lens into seeing that breakdown and you're right. Like depending on myriad factors, um, different riders are handling that piece of it differently. And so one, the training, the, the training question, I think is where we saw like a ton of a variation. What do you do? Your motivation and your training. Yeah. The motivation one was the big one where it's like, okay, you have these people who live these type A organized lives built around this schedule. And like, this is the time of the year where we're training and then we're doing intensity training and then we're resting and now we're going to race and we're going to build and recover out of these races and do all this stuff. And once all, and like your life is based around that and you're focusing on it. And then once that is taken away, it's like their whole world's shut down. So the quote that I come back to is this one from Daniel Oss, who, you know, he lives in like Garda, He's in Italy. Italy's in shutdown. He has done some, you know, a ton of training, altitude camps, getting ready to do the spring classics. And all of a sudden, the rug is pulled out from him. And, and he says, we are just floating, really. 
because we do mm. not know when we'll race again. There are just rumors about when we might potentially race again, but we don't know. My main motivation is simply to stay healthy and fit so that when we can go back out on the roads today, my condition can come back quickly. In some ways, it's like we are having a second winter this year and you just want to stay as fit as possible for that first training camp. You don't want to be too fat. You just want to be the best shape as possible. So it's sort of like, I don't know what I'm going to do, man. Like, and it's, it's, you know, my motivation and my being and my self identity is like based around these races and you take it away. And some of these riders just feel kind of lost. Um, I think that it's something that probably a lot of people can identify with who maybe have, you know, jobs that are very dependent on crowds showing up or restaurant jobs or whatever, where it's like, you know, your entire focus as a person is on this thing that has been taken away. And when that gets taken away, like, everything from your motivation to almost your like your self identity is just like pulled out from under you. Totally. And I think too, like since we've been doing this for so long, I've noticed maybe a shift in tone for people who, you know, back in like mid to late March, I think people thought like, okay, maybe this will be two weeks or something. And yeah, it's kind of disruptive, but I think I can handle that. Like, I think I can chill for two weeks. And as this is sort of dragged out, um, I, I don't know, there's like a little bit more despondency almost um, for people. Um, because I think in the beginning, there were some people were recognizing some like really nice things, getting to spend time with significant others, um, you know, families, partners, being home at, at, at that time of year. Like a lot of the Californian riders I spoke to were just loving riding outside in California at a time of year that they don't normally get to. Um, but yeah, this, this sort of theme of floating and riding without goal and training without a goal that has, that has permeated a lot of these conversations. Yeah. I think Katie Hall had a quote like that too, where it basically said like, uh, what is my motivation? I don't even know. Like we, mm -hmm. you know, we just, we've done this huge block of training to get ready for the season and you pull it away. Yeah. So like coaches are basically telling them like, Hey, back off. Like yep. reset, you know, like you yeah. just did a tremendous amount of base miles and strength building and like it sucks. All that is gone. You need to like cool your jets so that you can, yeah. like, you know, physically. Yeah. But more it's like mentally and emotionally so you can gear up to potentially do another one of these. I thought there was also um, some pretty interesting variation between what we saw in North American cyclists versus the European ones, especially ones like Daniel Oss and some of the riders living in um, – countries like france italy and spain that have complete lockdown so like i talked to rob Britton, who's up in uh british columbia and he's just like oh yeah you know hey they're going on like you know going on these like big cool adventure rides and like getting his gravel bike out and going exploring some of the cool like dirt roads outside of vancouver and taking these great images and stuff and like you know not flaunting it because it's Canadian. You can't flaunt it. You have to be very like kind of low key about it. But it's like <laughs> right. sort of indulging in the adventure side and sort of the pure, the the fun of cyclists to them, of cycling to them, which is like fun and adventure versus the guys in um, mm. like France. You know, Guillaume Martin was like, we're stuck at home. I have, you know, he's on his family farm in Normandy and they have a two kilometer like dirt right. road that he's just been doing laps on on his mountain bike and it's like but oh, but he's writing brutal. a book so that's <laughs> <laughs> true or daniel Laus, who's like i ride on swift one hour in the morning and one hour in the afternoon and like yeah that is it oh brutal no i i i'm with you and i 
I mean, I talking to some of the athletes in Europe has really stopped me in my tracks. Like I, I haven't written this one up yet, but I had a great chat with Taylor Finney and, um, and Kasia and, I mean, I was really like transported to their apartment in Girona and I just, I couldn't believe that's their reality. I mean, um, you know, Taylor said he's been, he's been ticketed for leaving. I mean, that's, that's seven weeks. Like, I don't think we really can imagine that. And that's been an interesting too. I th- interesting thing too. I think we've both talked to riders who have chosen like not to return home somewhere. So, you know, Taylor and Kasia chose to stay in Girona, I think, except didn't um was that you who talked to Sepcos? Um, I did not. I think it was James Start, but Sep is still over in Spain. He's still in Spain, and then even like Megan Jastrup, who I spoke to, she she was at a training camp in Colorado Springs and decided to stay there instead of going home um, to where her family is. Um, so there are there there are all these little little minor details that have become really not minor, have become quite major um, at this point in the in the whole thing what kind of answers have you gotten to um some of the more personal questions like uh the advice or keep in touch with family you know one of the one of the answers i got was from leah davison which was the helpful advice you know leah she's 36 37 realizes she's getting towards the end of her career but really was motivated to try and qualify for a third olympics and and that didn't yeah. that didn't happen and she said that her advice she read some good articles. One was from the Harvard Business Review. The title, The Discomfort You're Feeling is Grief. It focused on the different stages of grief and how they relate to the pandemic. And basically saying, like, what we're feeling right now, yes, there's anxiety. Yes, there's, like, being bummed out about, like, you know, can't see this. But really, like, the underlying thing is grief. The main, mm. the main point is that we're all scared right now. We, we, and if we let our emotions out right now, we'll think if we don't let our emotions out, we'll be in a permanent stage of sadness. If you let your emotions out, you'll move through, they'll move through you and then they'll be gone after a period of time. You need to allow yourself to be sad, allow yourself to grieve, allow yourself to like put some energy towards it so that you can kind of get past it and like move through it. And I think that's interesting because I do feel like especially some of the riders we talked to at the beginning, we're kind of still in the like, like you mentioned, like the, hey, look, this is going to go away. I'm just like, you know, I'm going to ride. I'm like, I'm, I'm staying with it. Like, we're going to come back. I'll be ready. Yada yada yada, and now sort of like several weeks on, people are like, "Yeah, like you know, pour <laughs> pour one out for the twenty the twenty twenty season." Um, did, have you heard any you know different uh, good advice or sort of personal um, anecdotes from some of the people you've talked to? Yeah, it's it's been interesting because you know a lot of these people have pretty robust um, social media presence as well, and I. I think that a lot of times the way they answered this question really reflects sort of their like online persona as well. Um, you know, Alison Tetrick, who I spoke to pretty early on, um, she, she answered this, this one really positively with, you know, sort of like there have been a lot of silver linings types answers, I guess. Um, like, let's see, what, what did she say? Um, she had a nice, just to, to treat each day as a gift. Like this is, this is frightening. This is unknown. This is scary. Um, but kind of, you know, it, the advice she's been given is like, it's, it's not unlike how we should be treating life in general is that, um, 
you know, each day is sort of a gift and you can do with it what you may, but why not make it the best day you can? Um, I think it was funny when I asked this question to, uh, to Reggie Miller, who, um, as most people know, is a former NBA basketball player. He, instead of telling me what advice he'd been given, um, he actually <laughs> gave advice. So, you know, what he'd been telling people is when you're going through tough times, just remember, you know, this too shall pass. Um, we will get through it. This will make us better people, but, but this too shall pass. So, um, there have been, I think there's been a lot of positivity. People are just, I think understanding that this is so unprecedented and like so unpredictable that um, it's not really worth the energy to to get all bent out of shape about it. Yeah, we buried the lead on that one. You talked to Reggie Miller. I mean, all of us have been talking to cyclists <laughs> and being like, hey, Oliver Nyson, what do you think about COVID? And then you've got <laughs> uh, Reggie Miller himself. Um, what I forget what's like what's his riding diet like right now? Is he out there getting after it? He's out in he's in Southern California, right? Yeah, and he gets after it. He was training for the Breck Epic. So he was pretty bummed because he still is pretty active in the NBA, like commentating. Um, so this was his big time to train before Oh God, I don't you're like more of a basketball guy than me. But NBA there was playoffs. a reason Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um Anyway, he had to drop out of the Breck Epic, which may not be canceled at this point, but just with his personal life and his job, he wasn't going to be able to get the training in that he wanted to. But um, no, Reggie rides hard. He's got his his extra large uh, Santa Cruz and um, he's out there riding road gravel and dirt a lot. And he's one of the athletes actually who who did say that he 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 is doing a lot of workouts and he still is doing some high intensity stuff. Um, he's just like, I don't know. I'm, I'm an old guy. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to lose it all. It'll be too hard to get it back when things do open up. He told me he wanted to stay around 75% so that when it's time to turn on the engine, it won't be so hard. I love it. You can tell that he's yeah. a lifelong athlete. I think that's been interesting as it pertains to a lot of the riders, especially the European, um, road racer riders and, and how it pertains to like what specific training they've been doing and how that differs from like someone who's in Belgium where you can still ride outdoors versus like uh, Philippe Gilbert in Monaco where you cannot ride outdoors, where it seems like the guys and gals who are in places that are in lockdown and are, you know, riding Zwift and Ashley Mulman Pasio said this on this podcast a couple weeks ago. It's like they're doing short, intense efforts. They're like, hey, I got my base miles in. I'm focusing on intensity. I'm doing these whiff races or these shorter workouts. And it's like intervals, intervals, intervals. I'm like crushing the intensity. And one of the reasons for that, obviously, is just like, who the heck wants to ride? <laughs> who the heck wants oh. to do a six-hour ride on a trainer? I mean, we've right. we've written some stories online about some of the freaks out there that are doing crazy stuff on indoor trainers. And if you're a freak doing crazy stuff on an indoor <laughs> trainer, email us. I want to hear your story. But – um and then, you know, then you kind of contrast that with some of the riders in um, open countries and they're, yeah. you know, Oliver Nason, he's riding huge miles in Belgium, Henrik Hausler, to be honest, I don't even own a home trainer. I don't have a Zwift account. I see all these guys posting stuff on social media and I have no idea how it feels. <laughs> so the perfect Hausler quote, but I'm really interested to see how this plays out, knock on wood, if and when we get back to racing. Um 
yeah. who is going to have an advantage? The people who have been riding outdoors, doing long, steady, eddy base miles, or the people who have been really focusing in on the intensity? I think that's going to be an interesting experiment to play out at the races. I do too. And I hope we can just approach it with like a sense of curiosity instead of like a, oh, this is not fair. You know, I, I mean, it is what it is. So why not? Let's, it, it'll be some grand experiment. I, I was on a, um, a Zoom conference call with Anamik um, Van Vluten yesterday. And one of the reporters really was sort of like needling her to answer that question. Like, is, is this going to be fair? You know, is, is Zwift, is training on Zwift equivalent to, you know, you, you're riding outside in the, in the Netherlands. And she was sort of just like, no, like everyone's training and everyone's working hard and you can win Paris-Roubaix on the trainer. And so, no, like, <laughs> let it be what it is. And, and let's just see. Um, I'm excited if and when it happens to see that. <laughs> That's funny. I mean, yeah, I, I've appreciated the perspective of these riders. You know, it's you can tell that a lot of them think about this stuff a lot. I mean, they have to. It's their livelihood and they spend so much yeah. time agonizing over the training and the nutrition and all aspects of it. Um, I feel like another interesting um, gap has existed between uh, young and old, like uh, riders mm. in their early 20s and riders who are in their, you know, mid to late 30s, even 40s about the perspective on this. You spoke to Amber Nieben the other day who, you know, Amber is 45. She is going, she was training heavily for the Olympics. This was like, final Olympics that she wanted to make it towards. She had a good chance to make it in the time trial. She was not training for any other goal except it. And then the Olympics gets canceled and pushed back a year. And she, you know, like she had pretty wise perspective on it. It's like crashing in a stage race when you're wearing the yellow jersey. Don't panic. Mm -hmm. Don't freak mm -hmm. out. Get back on the bike. In that sense, it's like, I'm not going to panic. I'm prepared to be flexible and adapt. Mentally, I'm very resilient. There's always opportunity and difficulty. What can I find in this moment to take advantage of? I'm always looking for a way to respond. It's probably the mindset that's gotten me as far as it's gotten. If you have read VeloNews.com over the last 20 years, you have read so many stories about poor Amber Nieben crashing, breaking mm -hmm. bones, knocking her teeth out concussion like setback after setback after setback after everyone she has come back and found ways to like you know win races and achieve stuff and like you know if you want to look any you know you can look further and look at you know she's a very talented athlete and a very dedicated person but having that mindset i feel like is so valuable in a time like this yeah no that quote really struck me as well you know that idea of resiliency um and the fact that she's able to occupy this, this, what she called this, this both space. So it's not like this is the worst thing that's ever happened, but it's also, she's not really psyched, but she's able to exist in this sort of like gray area. Um, and, and she said being excellent, being great at something, you have to be able to be in that space. Um, and that's, I mean, that it makes sense that she's gotten as far as she has, because that's an incredibly healthy and I think sustainable way to think about things, especially hard things. Well, as you look back on these conversations that you've had with these people, Betsy, and look, we're going to continue this. I mean, keep reading VeloNews.com. We're just pulling out these day in the life pieces all week long. I think we've done, we've done basically one every single day since like the third week of March. And we're going to keep doing them because I just, I just think they're great. And the more, the more we have, it's like the more data set we have to like look at yeah. and parse and be like, Oh, this is really interesting. But yeah. you know, have you gotten any interesting 
bits of wisdom, anything that you've learned from these cyclists that you have been trying to or you plan to apply to your own life? Wow. That's right, man. We're getting deep here, man. Get deep on this podcast. I'll give you some time to think. I'll go with mine. Yeah. Okay. So um, I like wrote down some of these quotes. Like Gil Martin, he was so funny. We had the picture of him with the the donkey. donkey. Oliver Nason, he had. I mean, I thought Oliver Nason had a really poignant quote, which is, "Hey, a cycling career is pretty short anyway, so you only have a few years on top. So for me to lose the classics, which is the most important part of the year, that's really hard." but the one I'm going to take away is actually from Rebecca Rush, who is like, mm-hmm. instead of texting people, I've been calling them. It's like, yeah. I have more time, you know, like usually it's keeping in touch with people, text, 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 photo, whatever. And she's just like, I'm just calling people because like, it's just, you know, it's me and my husband and having that personal connection with people is so much more valuable. And I haven't been like, following that orthodox but i've been i've been trying you know calling the folks a few times a week and yeah calling other friends and you know if i'm like walking a doggy or doing whatever it's just like pick up the phone reach out and and call someone so that is the one that i want to pass along to listeners yeah that's a good that's a good one um i i i i guess i'd say i'm i'm struck by the the ones that have ended on a really positive note, like we were talking about the helpful advice. Um, I can tend to sort of get down and down and out about politics and sort of this whole greater crisis. And, you know, I was in the healthcare field, so I, I kind of go down a dark hole when I think about things like that. But so many of these athletes have just like, like you just said, like they've said, I'm calling people, I'm talking to people. Reggie Miller, he couldn't, he couldn't say enough how he thought that this would make us better people, how he's met neighbors, he's met people on his block that he'd never met before. Um, he also talked about how he's come to this great appreciation of his wife, his partner, and like how much she does when he's not around. Um, and I, I've had other athletes talk about spending time with their significant other and like understanding what that person does when they're not around, when they're traveling and things like that. Um, so I think that that's, that's something to come away from this with is like to understand that the people around you, whether they're your family, whether you're, they're your friends, you know, we're all, we're all generally trying to do our best and to actually see what those people do on a day to day basis is, is cool. It's not something that we normally to witness well the stories are called day in the life there's over 30 of them on the villain news website of us talking to pro cyclists and other people of note in the cycling world <laughs> like reggie miller out there um thank you betsy welch uh, before we get to Catherine pendrel who's going to take us through her own day in the life we're going to have a quick break bye Uh, you may have been following our series on the website over the last two months called Day in the Life, in which we reach out to pro cyclists and ask them about how they are living in this era of uh, coronavirus, COVID-19. Turns out pro cyclists, they're just like us. They like, you know, have chores to do and they have work and they want to go outside and have fun and have, uh, you know, like hurdles and buying groceries, just like just like us regular folks have here. So... 
for this episode of the Villainous Podcast, I wanted to do a day in the life with an actual real cyclist. So on the line here, we have Catherine Pendle. Catherine is an Olympic bronze medalist, a multiple-time world champion. She is peak, peak, peak when it comes to cross-country mountain bike racing. Catherine, somewhat, thanks so much for uh, making time for us. I'm really excited to do one of these day in the life pieces with you. Me too. It's great to catch up after so many years. I know. Catherine and I go way back, back when I was just a young reporter on the uh, domestic, on the scene. What was the the name of that first team you were on when you were doing World Cup? What was that one? Oh, I started with the Norco factory team back in 2007. That's right. But yeah, most of my career, like I only started doing World Cups in 2007, really. And so most of it has been with Luna Cliff. Yeah. 13 years this year. I was about to say, I remember when it was, you were like the head, like the up and comer on Norco factory. And I was like, who is this Catherine Pendrell gal? <laughs> and then it was Luna cliff and it was world cup wins and world championship wins and Olympic medals. Very exciting to have followed your career. Thank you. All right, Catherine, I'm just going to jump into this. These are these nine questions here for our day in the life piece. Um, your location, Kamloops, British Columbia, mm-hmm. global mountain biking destination. Um, what are the current regulations for going outside, having fun in the out of doors? Sure. Uh, currently, we're in a pretty good situation where our prime minister is encouraging us to to stay home when necessary, but also just to get outside for recreation. Um, so I am able to train outside as, as much as I want, as long as I'm not training with other people, aside from my husband, who I live with. Um, half of our trail areas are closed, though. So we barely got out of winter and the trails being uncovered by snow and then half of them were already closed again. Um, but we have, we do have trails and, um, so I'm not complaining at all. I'm enjoying every, every inch of them. I have a follow up Canadian specific question for you. So when I did one of these with Rob Britton, who's, uh, out there, um, he was in Vancouver at the time. He said, Hey, you know, like, yeah, we're like legally we're able to do this. Um, but there's sort of a cultural, like, Hey, don't flaunt it if you're like going outdoors a lot. Like the Canadian sensibility is a little like, you know, if you have the ability to go out there, that's great. But like, don't go rubbing it in people's faces that, you know, I can go and do a nine hour ride. Have you come up against anything like that? Um, yeah, I mean, that's interesting that you're like, oh, do I put anything on Strava or do I, um, share it on social media? And there's definitely that, that bit holding you back. Like our national team coaches talk to us and he's like, you know, I have friends in the healthcare profession and they're not saying, oh, I'm going outside and training because it's safe to do so. They're saying, I'm going outside and training because, well, the pros are training. Um, so you do have that leadership role of what is socially responsible. And, but I think it's, if the, the laws in your area are saying it's okay to go recreate by yourself, cycling by nature, it's pretty socially distant. So, you know, if you, what I'm doing is like, I'm going on gravel roads, I'm going far away, or I'm going just with my husband. Um, I'm, uh, definitely not planning to meet up with people for, for group rides. And even when we uh, were riding in an area and we did see a group of people, we had to give them a reminder that, hey, guys, you know, our trail access will get taken away if you guys are having a tailgate party at the trailhead. <laughs> so, um, yeah, there's I think you can take a role of positive leadership. And, yeah, you know, people are training inside. You don't want to be flaunting it. Um, and I am riding inside some days. Like today I just did a, a Zwift ride with Specialized Canada because, you're, there is a little bit of just creating some solidarity for the people that are stuck inside um, and just creating some different opportunities. Okay, cool. Um, so here we are. It's the last week of April. We've already had a lot of race cancellations. So what races were you planning to do that have been canceled or postponed? 
Sure. Um, the entire World Cup circuit. Uh, of course, we had our final Olympic selection event May 24th, which was the first World Cup in Czech. Uh, we then hopefully had an Olympic Games happening in Tokyo. So this was definitely a huge season for us. And uh, I had also planned on it being my last year World Cup. So if it doesn't happen, um, you know, definitely disappointing. Um, uh, so yeah, like that was definitely Olympics take over everything. Uh, but we also have, if you weren't going to Olympics, you'd change your focus to the world championships and just having a strong World Cup overall. And Sea Otter gone and Epic Rides yep. and all that stuff too. So yeah. a lot of stuff canceled. Uh, what yeah, are you doing? Currently, yeah. until July 6th for us at least. Yes, domestically. What are you doing today? Today? Uh, well, today I did a Zwift ride and um, I've been creating or building um, a kids loop near my house. So we have a one kilometer circuit. So I've been organizing um, some people that are going to help us with the trail work. Um, yeah, and uh, it's only... 12:40 here, so day's only halfway halfway done. Um, are you doing any workouts, like structured workouts? And if so, what specifically are you doing these days? Sure. Um, yeah. So I took the first kind of because we've been home for a month now, um, and so definitely you first you're like, okay, I gotta keep as fit as I can in case we go back, and then you're like, okay, we're not going back probably until August at the earliest. Um, so then you had a change to be like, you know, rather than peaking for May and July, now it's like hopefully September we get to try and peak for. So yeah, definitely took a step back and working a little bit with motivation. Um, so rather than doing structured intervals of like six by three minutes or four by four minutes or whatever I might be doing at this time of year normally, um, I never get a chance to just go as fast as I can up a hill if this because I'm always racing for a time, like three minutes, four minutes, six minutes. So now it's just like, I want to go as fast as I can up that hill. So working with motivation a little bit that way and, and just trying to have some fun. Um, having little house wars with my husband to see who can post the fastest time on different on different uh, roads or segments. Um, so yeah, like still touching all the energy systems that need to be touched, but doing it in a way that you're... Um, you're mentally engaged and having fun so that when it is time to get a little bit more serious to, to hone in for your race season that you aren't haven't exhausted yourself or depleted your motivation. What indoor gear are you using? What indoor gear? So um, I do ride Zwift every once in a while. Um, and so I can do Zwift races uh, with that. And um, then I'm just doing some home gym. Most of my workouts are able to be outside now, but um, so yeah, in my, like for home gym, I don't really have a lot, but I've got like little dumbbells and I've got my stairs and a skip rope and stuff like that. So pretty simple, a lot of body weight exercises. You haven't been doing the Kate Courtney like weird sled attached to a bunch of rubber bands that like zip <laughs> up and down. It looks like a medieval torture device. No, I haven't done that. Okay. <laughs> I'll okay. just check it out though. Get on that. <laughs> What's your motivation to train right now? Uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely... Uh, gone up and down um but i think kind of what i came back to is that riding way more fun when you're fit and when you can go fast and so um i want to be ready to race when it's time um and but also i just want to have fun being fit and being able to do some good adventure rides when we're able to to spread our wings a little bit more from our communities and um yeah so um just basically having fun and and enjoying being a fit, healthy, fast bike racer. How are you? Commu- yeah, that's good motivation. <laughs> How are you communicating with friends and family right now? 
um, mostly by the phone. Like I don't have any family that lives nearby, but um, yeah, like on WhatsApp, we might do like a, like a video call multi-person. Um, so that, um, doing those whip rides has been pretty fun. Like today we did, you can chat on Discord. So you're actually having a conversation and we did that with the North American model by girls. So it was Kate Courtney and myself and Haley Smith and Chloe Woodruff and, um, a bunch of people like that. So it's just kind of fun to keep those communities that the people you would normally be spending a lot of time with in the summer, you're not the same, but you're interacting through this or social media and that kind of thing. Have you uh, gotten any helpful advice either on oh, just life in general these days, training, any type of advice that you've gotten in the last couple of months? Oh, um, we got to, um, with the Canadian Olympic Committee, we had Commander Chris Hatfield, who is an astronaut, talk to us about living in isolation. Wow. So, yeah. Um, so if you're like, if you can go into space for however many hundreds of days, that is isolation. And that makes you think what we have isn't so bad. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think, um, you know, lots of, lots of little nuggets there and just about, mainly it's about keeping perspective. Um, and I think, um, yeah, I, I'd say there's not so much new pieces of information, but maybe just reminders of things that you already know about controlling controllables and, and just shifting perspective so that, you know, it's like there's what you wanted and, but then there's the reality and embracing that new reality and setting the objectives and life can be good. When do you think you're going to race again? That's a really interesting question. I think that domestically racing could open up late in the summer. I know for sure it won't be before July 6th. Um, but it's a really interesting question of when do you bring people from all different countries together into the same event and um, you know, people will be coming from such different situations in varying countries. And so it's possible that we may have to wait until there's a vaccine. Um, but it's possible that we could have a really busy September, October. Um, and, you know, it's all just speculation at this point, but uh, I'm hopeful that we could race this fall. Okay, those are my nine stock questions for you for the day, for the day <laughs> in the life. Thanks. I appreciate that, Catherine. I mean, I want to drill into a couple other things you talked about, um, the first was about this astronaut talking about, you know, variables you can control and emotionally how you deal with those that you can't control. So, you know, Catherine, you've been this fixture uh, on the Canadian Olympic team going back to, it's 2008, your first Olympics? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that is, what, three, eight, twelve, three. <laughs> three in a row that you're going for this fourth one. Um, yeah. First of all, I mean, what was the emotional fallout? Just the emotional reaction of learning that the Olympics were going to be postponed by a year. I mean, after this whole thing came up, you're a person. This is this huge yeah. part of your life. It's been a huge part of your life totally. for half your life now. What? How did you? What was? What was the feeling, and how did you work through that? Yeah, well, it was actually interesting because Canada pulled out of the Olympics before the Olympics were canceled. They said they weren't going to send a team, so kind of we were dealing with that 24 hours before, and I guess like you saw it coming and you kind of knew that it had to be that way, but it, it was also the sadness when you get the news. Cause it's like, it's lost. Right. And then like, you've probably seen that articles about what people are feeling right now is grief. Cause we're, we're missing out on things that we are really looking forward to. Um, so you do have that feeling of, of loss. Uh, but then at the same time, you know, they get 
postponed. And so, you know, that opportunity will be there again. It's just not at the same timing that you expected it to be. And, and I guess for myself, going to the Olympics wasn't a guarantee. I was, I was in a good position. Um, I was qualified second. We get to send two girls, but there's still one more selection event. Um, so yeah, sadness. And then, but also it took away some stress because this big anxiety event that you have coming up, um, wasn't there anymore. Um, so yeah, just a lot of mixed feelings, but then, yeah, then you go through a bit of like, okay, well, what am I training for? Like, what is my purpose if I'm not racing? That kind of thing. And, um, yeah, I just kind of come back to a spot where just riding because you enjoy riding. And then also coming back to what you said at the top of the conversation, which was this was going to be your final year on the World <laughs> Cup. Um, now, you know, the listeners can probably imagine, but it's like, so much preparation has to go into a World Cup mountain bike race. So much training, totally. preparation, studying the course, so much focus, and knowing that that then builds towards the Olympics. I mean, you know, were you planning to retire entirely? What, you know, what does that, what does this mean now within the scope of your career in general? Sure. I think bike racers retire for one type of racing to start another kind of racing. <laughs> so, you know, if I, even if I stopped doing world cup racing, I'd be like, Oh, sweet. Well now I can do stage racing or <laughs> all these other events. So, um, you know, I, I think it's, a, it's in our DNA. It's kind of, you're not, it's not just what you do is who you are. Uh, so racing, I see always being a part of my life. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, having a break from the high performance is, is tough trying to be, at that top level for that long. And, um, you know, there's, there's other ways to enjoy the sport. So yes, I was definitely going to step back from the world cup Olympic level. Uh, but yeah, hopefully stay involved in the bike industry. And, um, yeah, it's pretty hard to think about not riding my bike as much as I do. But now, I mean, is the plan then to get geared up for the world cup, uh, this coming year and the Olympics coming year? I mean, basically taking what would have been the 2020 season and yeah. pushing it back another year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the current plan. And, and um, of course you kind of have to get to the end of season. It, it's going to be super interesting and hopefully the bike industry weathers this. Well, I think, think it has, I think without organized sports, people are rediscovering their bikes again and, and the bike industry is going to be good. But of course, most Olympic athletes contract is up December 31st. So there, there could be lots of changes and, and differences in opportunities, but, um, you know, I, I hope that if I choose to continue, um, that there will be the opportunities to do so. And, um, but yeah, definitely I would like to get back this year. And, and if I don't, um, get to raise this year, you know, it, I think everybody wants to retire on their own terms and, and feeling like they, they had that last season that they had planned on having. No, that's really interesting. And I, and I think about that through the lens of so many different uh, male and female cyclists who I've reported on over the last 15 years, which is, you know, the ability to retire on your own terms and to go out after a big event. And so when I saw, you know, 2020 is on the horizon, I was thinking about it. I was like, ah, oh, well, who are the riders who are probably going to use this as yeah. like a last benchmark and a last sort of thing to push towards? And, and yeah, yeah, I mean, you were on my list. We, you know, like you said at the yeah. time of the conversation, it goes back to 2000. Seven two thousand eight since I've been yeah. report is writing about you and and yeah. um, actually I have Maya Varshovka too I think was planning to retire this year so two yeah. out of three of the medalists in Rio wow 
And, yeah. and it, you know, it is an interesting time for cross-country mountain bike racing with a, a generational shift going on and some of these, um, you know, strong youngsters coming up. I mean, when you think about, when you look at this young generation of um, women coming into cross-country mountain biking, um, how do they seem similar to where you were uh, 15 years ago and how are they different? Yeah, um, you know, I'd say there was always a super strong U23. I I feel like um, the two world championships that I won, some of the strongest contenders were U23 riders those years. Um, so there has always been strong 22-year-olds out there. But now I think the biggest difference is just the depth of talent. So now it's not just one or two strong women. It's like, oh, I cannot make a mistake because if I do three women are going to catch me, not one woman. So um, that's, it's been super impressive just to see the depth increase and also the, the technical ability. Um, it used to be that there's a couple standout riders and now you watch women preparing for the races and you're like, man, just the average level of riding out there is so good. What do you attribute that to? Um, I think girls are starting to grow up on bikes. They're riding bikes at a much younger age. Um, I think the skills required are different, maybe less emphasis on just the physical component. People are realizing, no, we have to be practicing skills or hiring skills coaches. Um, so, you know, mountain biking is just way more mainstream than it was before. And, and there's, there's mountain bike coaches out there, technical skills coaches out there. And uh, so people are kind of growing up knowing that that's a, learning how to jump is a big important element of what we do. Yeah. I know that uh, in, in our reporting around like Nika and little Bella's and some of these projects that are really geared at getting girls on bikes. I mean, you start to see the results after like five, you know, three, four or five years and you have these graduates and they're coming back in as an earning, you know, working as mentors. That's just sort of this thing that keeps piloting along. I think one of the, one of the questions I always have about, with the topic of getting women involved in cycling and, also, and and just getting them to the elite level is like getting past the hurdles in cycling and not just women, but like all cyclists, like every cyclist mm-hmm. at some point gets to that point where it's hard, where you fall or you get an injury or you get like mm-hmm. into a situation where you're the only woman and it's a bunch of men. And um, the secret sauce seems to be like, how do you get past some of those um, hurdles and I'm wondering if you think back to your career and like mm-hmm. how you got through some of the the hurdles or the, like the setbacks that can often steer people out out of the sport yeah for sure um, I would say it's it's the people that you have surrounding you the people in your network because the, there's definitely a couple points in my career where I could have stopped and and some of it was early on it, it seemed like I couldn't trained to be a good cyclist and have a job and go to school and have friends because other girls were at riding bikes, right? Um, so it, needing to make it kind of uh, to build your community. And for me, that came from moving to a larger place, moving to British Columbia. Um, you know, economically, before I made it, it was like, you know, I was waiting tables in the winter and then taking leaving my job and then trying to bike race all summer but I was getting to the point where it's like oh like these results are good and I'm progressing but am I progressing enough that um I can justify like my now my husband um carrying more of the financial load in our relationship where it could seem like I'm just going and having fun um but I was just the right it's just having the right people because my husband's response was like well anyone can go back to school and get their master's or whatever but how many people at that point i just was like 32nd at world she's like how many people can be top 32 in the world and like if you're an aspiring biker so that's all the permission you need to, to keep like going and chasing your goal so 
Um, I think it's having the right people in your life that can validate what you're doing as, as being worthwhile and giving you the time that it actually takes to become successful before, you know, they're somebody's maybe pressuring you to get a real job or making you feel like what you're doing isn't um, valuable. You know what? You talking about the waiting titles thing brought up a memory, which is I remember writing a story about you and it would have been after that end of that 07 season when you were go you had signed to go to Luna and we yeah. did, and you told me about, yeah, I've been, I've actually been waiting tables and like doing this stuff to fund it. And I was like, Oh my gosh, it's, that's hard. You know, that's like the total hard luck story of, of, but like the desire and wanting to make it work. And I remember talking to Valdek, who's your team, longtime team manager. I was like, what do you think about this? Like Pendrel, you know, just come out of the team and he just was like, she'll be world champion one day. Oh, no, I, I yeah. didn't know that. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, yeah. He's like, she'll, she's like, he's like, she'll be like Cider, Alice and Cider. He's like, she'll be a world champion one day. And I was like, yeah, yeah whatever, Valdek, you don't know. But he like, he knew. I remember that, like, that's like giving me, yeah. I, I, like raised the hair on the back of my neck right now. I was just like, oh man, I remember like talking to Valdek at Mont Saint Anne. And he was like, yeah, yeah, Catherine. I like looked at her numbers or something like that. And he was just like, she'll be world champion someday. So <laughs> I remember when you said hi to me at race and I was like, ah, the Luna team manager just said hi to me. <laughs> I'm like, I'm sending him my resume as soon as I get home. <laughs> yeah. Um, what does, I guess the last question for you, I mean, look at what is an ideal 2021 look like for you? You know, this would have been 2020, but it's going to get pushed back a year. What, yeah. is a, what is a perfect 2021 look for you? Look like for you? Uh, a perfect 2021 would be... Yeah, I guess being able to come back after this with the the strength and the the desire and the fight that I've I've had at the the peak years of my career and um being able to be in the fight for the podium like when you're racing for the front it's just so engaging and so exciting and um yeah that's where I'd love to be. Well, Catherine Pendrel, I appreciate you making some time for us. We're gonna follow you in 2021. I remember right. it, so I had. I had left the sport, but I would still like tune in and watch like World Cups and World Championships online or like follow it. And I I, wa I saw one of your World Championships win, but I saw the Olympics with the bronze. Mm -hmm. And like, I just remember because <laughs> I, I was, I think I... Where I tried to throw everybody off by being last on the first lap. And <laughs> yeah. Well, because were you fourth in um, Beijing? Or were you fourth? Yeah. You, you were fourth in Beijing. Fourth. That's right. I yeah. remember talking to you, you fourth in Beijing, and, and you were kind of like, well, you know, I didn't met you. Like, you had a really good perspective on it, but it was like, oh, chocolate metal. Like, that's the toughest place to be. Yeah. No. Yeah. Actually, I love that. Like, because it was so, it was, it was unexpected for me. It was yeah. London when I went in with a lot of pressure and things didn't go well. <laughs> but then to see you get that Olympic medal uh, in Rio was like pretty good. It was like, ah, oh, validation. She did get it. You know, it's like, there's no guarantee mm -hmm. when you get fourth at the Olympics that you'll ever be back in a position to get that medal. Totally. And, uh, totally. As a fan of the sport, I was very psyched to see you get that medal. Uh, cool. Thank you. <laughs> right on, Catherine. Well, again, I appreciate you sharing your thoughts and perspective with us. We'll let you go shred those uh, Kamloops trails. Uh, thanks again. All right. All right. Thanks, Fred. Talk later. <laughs>